0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. open your Bibles to the book of Romans this morning. If you are new uh, today, we are walking through the book of Romans as a a church family. Uh, We're calling this series, People Made New, as Paul just sort of unpacks the gospel, how we can be made new in the gospel. That's what Romans is all about. And we just finished chapter 1 last week, and so today we're moving on to the second chapter. So let me ask you to turn there, Romans chapter 2, and we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 11, which is about guarding against hypocrisy. Romans 2 and verses 1 through 11. If you'll turn there, your copy of God's Word or your iPad or whatever device you're you're using, and let's stand together for the reading of, of God's Word. Paul says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before this text today we pray that you would, would humble our hearts before you this is a text that is especially challenging to people like most of the people in this room who have high high moral values high standards of behavior pe- people who who claim to believe in you but father our our walk does not always match our talk and so we pray that you would use this text today to help us to guard against hypocrisy and to turn to the only one who was never guilty of hypocrisy, even Jesus. We pray it in his name, amen. Well, after the, the, the recent... Uh, Scandal involving the Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein and the the allegations of of, of sexual abuse that, that that came out against him. Of course, the press was super quick to jump on a salacious story and and, and very quick to condemn his behavior and and and, and rightly. So, it was behavior worthy of condemnation. But, but the problem was that some of the reporters, like Matt Lauer and others, that were, that were condemning the behavior of Harvey Weinstein, it came out that there was a similar pattern of behavior in their own lives. And apparently, the site... Of, uh, of people like Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose and others sort of posing as paragons of virtue was too much for, uh, to stomach for some of the women that had been on the receiving end of their improper behavior, and they went public, and of course, within the space of a week, these guys' careers were over as the judgment of their employers and the judgment of the public came down upon their heads But this passage tells us about an infinitely greater judgment that will roll down upon the heads of unrepentant hypocrites. And we must be very careful to say unrepentant hypocrites because there is not a single one of us who at some point has not been guilty of hypocrisy who has not been guilty of our walk not matching our talk. There is only one who walked this earth without any hypocrisy. And we must turn to him for grace and for mercy. And if we do not turn to him, then, then judgment will surely come. This is a text about judgment. And Paul tells us three aspects about the judgment of God that we need to be aware of. First of all, it's inescapable. God's judgment is inescapable. He says in in verses 1 through 3, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? It's a rhetorical question. You will not escape the judgment of God. Now, we have to be very careful here because Paul is not saying that we're, we're wrong to point out sin. He's not saying that. He's not saying that, that we're wrong, you know, to, to point out what is, what, is, what is evil and what is immoral. He says there that the problem comes in that when, you, that when you're pointing these things out and you're doing the same things in your own life. Paul says here that, that not only are you not faking God out, but that you're actually showing contempt for God. He says in in verse 4, he says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Listen, over and over and over, the Bible tells us that God does not relish pouring out judgment on anyone. It tells us that God is kind and patient. And that God is slow to anger, that he's full of mercy. But God is not mocked. And there comes a time when, as we talked about last week, when we say to God, if we say to God long enough, I don't want you, then then God will say to us, okay, I'll give you what you want. And he will hand us over to the consequences of our own choices. But, but God does not relish pouring out judgment on anyone. Psalm 103 in verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Imagine a football coach. Imagine an NFL football coach. He's got a, a player with a, with a horrible issue with his temper. And so, you know, the, the, this coach is, is, is caring, he's, he's merciful, and, uh, and he sees this is becoming a problem. So he sits the young guy down, he says, look, I care about you. And I, I know this is this, the opportunity to play in the NFL. It's an incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I don't want you to blow it. And, and you've got some talent, but I just want to tell you, this has got to stop. I mean, you're going off on your teammates, you're going off on coaches. I mean, this, this cannot continue to happen. Well, within the space of a week, he, he's gotten into a fight with one of his teammates in the locker room, and now dissension is starting to, 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 to break out uh, on this team, and, and, and the owner hear, hear, hears about it, uh, and he says, you know, we, we, can't, we can't allow this to, to go on. We just need to cut this guy right here and now. And the coach says to the owner, let's give him one more chance. Let's give him one more chance. I mean, he, if, he, if he blows this, I mean, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be curtains for him as far as ever Playing in, in in the league, let's give him one more chance. Coach sits down with him again, says, "Look, this is it. This is it. You, you, this cannot go on. This happens again. You're you're going to be cut. You're going to lose. You're going to lose everything within the space of a week. You know he's 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 gone off on a teammate, thrown his helmet at one of his teammates, hit hit the, his helmet, hit hit the, his teammate in the head, giving him a concussion. Now his teammate is out for multiple weeks." And the coach has to sit down with him and cut him. But in a sense, he cut himself, right? He fired himself. And no one goes to hell unless they choose it. It is, it is over every, every, every attempt of the mercy of God if we wind up in, in, in hell. But hell is real and judgment is real. And, 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 and Paul says here in, in, in verse 5, warning ag- against that, he says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This image here of storing up wrath is powerful. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses that image of storing up, right? When he talks about giving, it's a beautiful image. He says that when we give to the work of the gospel, he says that's like storing up treasures in heaven. Well, here Paul says, instead of for these people with hard and impenitent hearts, instead of storing up treasure, he says you're storing up wrath. He says it's like water accumulating behind the dam and it's just building up and building up and one day the dam is going to burst and there's going to be no escape. God's judgment is inescapable. Second, God's judgment is righteous. God's judgment is righteous. So at the end of verse 5, he talks about God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And then in verses 6 through 8, he goes on to unpack that and tell us why his judgment is righteous. What makes it righteous? It's perfectly righteous. He says in verses 6 through 8, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now maybe you read verses 6 through 8 and you say, hey, wait a second, Paul's talking an awful lot about works here. I thought the Bible told us that we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Well, the Bible certainly does teach that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But what it also teaches is that genuine saving faith results in a transformed life. Not a perfect life, but a life that does demonstrate holiness, and a life that does demonstrate good works. Read the book of James. Read James chapter 2. It says, Faith without works is dead. It's not real faith at all. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul just really lays this out. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It'll be on the screen. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And so, super clear. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then what does he say in verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the deal. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Good works are not the root of, of our salvation but they are the fruit of our salvation and where there is no fruit there is no salvation and so what does he say here uh, going back to back to verse 8 he says for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury now last week we talked about sort of a present aspect of the wrath of God. If you remember in chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul said the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So that's a present aspect of the wrath of God. That's God now in the present saying to people, okay, go your own way. That's, that's a present aspect of the wrath of God. What he's talking about here in chapter 2 is future wrath. He is talking about a day of wrath, a day of judgment that is coming. And that day will reveal who is real. And there are going to be some surprises on that day. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 18 tells this parable, it says he, t- he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now put aside what you've heard about Pharisees, because we, we think about Pharisees today as the bad guys. But in that culture, they were the good guys. The Pharisees were, were looked upon as, you know, Bible-believing men and patriotic men. I mean, they were, they were held in very high esteem by people. Tax collectors, the exact opposite, riffraff, total riffraff, despised by people. So these two guys, Pharisee, tax collector, they go up into the temple to pray. And Jesus says in verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this guy, this tax collector. I fast twice a week, get tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the issue here is not, is not who is a sinner and who is not. <laughs> we all qualify, right? We all qualify as sinners. I taught a men's Bible study uh, one time in a former church, and, and one time one of my friends showed up and we used to put name tags on, and uh, one morning he, he, put, he put on his name tag, Sinner. That's our identity, right? We all, that's, our, that's all of our identities, okay? The issue is not whether we qualify as sinners. We all do. The issue is whether or not we have humbled ourselves and acknowledged our sin and turned from our sin and turned to the Savior. Because it's not going to matter you, you know, on that day, I mean, whether we, ca- whether we lived the kind, whether we came from a background like Romans 1 18 through 32, which we looked at last week, which was sort of like the Gentile world of open depravity, or whether we kind of came from a background where, you know, we were just, we grew up in the Christian family and we were in church every Sunday, but our hearts were far from God. I want to tell you, we're sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus tells another parable about two sons and one incredibly loving father. And you know the parable, one son goes off and he tells his father, give me my share of the estate, which was basically the equivalent of saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the estate. And so, his merciful father gives it to him, he goes off. He, he lives a Romans 1, 18 through 32 life. Just a life of kind of, you know, open debauchery. And then one day he comes to himself and he says, wow, what am I doing with my life? He comes to himself and he repents and he heads for home and he's already got his speech memorized that he's going to give to his dad. Just take me in as one of your hired men. What does his dad do? His dad sees him coming down the road. It's a merciful father sees his son coming, this wayward son. And he doesn't wait for him to come to him. He runs out to him and meets him and throws his arms around him and showers him with kisses and puts his robe on him. And he says, we're gonna slay the fattened calf and throw a party. Why? Because this my son who was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and he's been found. Let's celebrate. But there was one who was not happy about the return of the black sheep brother, and that was the older brother. And the older brother hissed at his father in hatred. What are you doing? Here I am, you know, I've checked off all the boxes, I've obeyed all the rules. Why are you showing mercy to him? And what did the older son reveal in doing that? He revealed that he was just as lost as his younger brother because he had been in the house. He had never left the house, but his heart was far from the father. See, the older brother, he was a, he was a, he was a Romans 2 type of person <laughs> who looked down upon the actions of his younger brother, but, but inside, he was just as lost, even more lost in a way, because he didn't understand that he was lost. No, all of us, all of us, no matter what our background is, we are are sinners in need of a Savior. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and that brings us to the third aspect of God's judgment here, and that is that it's impartial. God's judgment is impartial. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. Paul says, "...there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek." But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. It's not going to matter on that day whether you come from a Jewish background or a Gentile background. It's not going to matter on that day whether you're black or white or rich or poor or a man or woman. We are all sinners in need of a Savior and the Savior has been revealed. The issue is, has the Savior been received? Have we humbled ourselves and come to him in repentance and in faith? Because here's here's the deal. We think about hypocrisy. There was only one who walked this earth completely without it. There was only one whose walk always matched his talk. There was only one who never even had a sinful thought There was only one who never committed a sin of commission and did something that was wrong against God's law. There's only one who never committed a sin of omission and failed to do what was right. Only one who lived totally without hypocrisy. And that was Jesus. Now let me ask you something. You're going to stand before a holy God one day. Are you relying on your own righteousness or on his righteousness? righteousness of Christ repent turn to him if you don't know Jesus turn to him he is the only one who lived the perfect life that we can never live and therefore he was able to die on an old rugged cross and shed his blood for us for sinners and hypocrites like us you need him you need a savior your righteousness is not going to cut it on that day Do you have Jesus? Are you covered in his robes of righteousness? If you're here today as a Christian, listen, friends, this is a text that should cause us to examine our own hearts. Paul here in Romans 2 is addressing people who who are a lot like us. You know, and, and, and at the end of chapter 1, he's, he's kind of talking about sort of that, that, that open depravity of the Gentile world. But then in, in chapter 2, what he's doing is he's, he's turning his attention more to his own people, Jewish people, who were a lot like us. They had high standards. They had high moral values. They, 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 uh, they believed the Bible the people that he's addressing in chapter 2 are are a lot like us as conservative Bible-believing Christians. And so this text should cause people like us to examine our own hearts and lives for hypocrisy. You say that you're pro-family. How do you treat your family behind closed doors? You say that you're pro life and that you value life from the moment of conception, and rightly so. But how do you treat the people around you every day? Do you treat them as image bearers of God? You say that you believe the Bible, but how often do you read the Bible? How seriously do you study the Bible? You say that you are for religious liberty, but are you taking the liberty to share the gospel? With the lost friends and family members and your life and the people that you work with and go to school with. You say that you're against the, the terrible things that we see happening with, 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 with sexual, sex, sexual abuse and, and, and sex trafficking and all of that, but, but do you click on pornography, which feeds that culture and feeds that industry? Are you one person on the outside and another person on the inside? Are you one person in public and another person in private? Are you one person at church and another person at school or at work? Who are you when nobody is looking? Let's pray. Father, we know that you were always looking, that you're, we, do, we do life before your eye always. Help us to examine our hearts. Help us to examine our own hearts and lives. Father, I pray for anyone here who is not yet a Christian. Father, I pray that they would turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and come to rely upon the only Savior and the only one who can cover them with with a covering of righteousness so that they can stand before you as a holy God who requires perfect righteousness. And Father, we pray that for those of us who are in Christ, that we would take a passage like this and and that it would would cause us to to, to deeply look at ourselves, take a hard look at ourselves and examine our own hearts and lives. That we would live lives of of integrity and lives that would be used to, to draw others to you. That others would see our good works and give glory to Our Father in heaven, it's in your name that we pray, amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Jesus, we would love nothing more than to come alongside you and talk with you and pray with you. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about making this your church home, we would love uh, to talk with you about that. We're going to be here during our time of invitation. Be here after our service um, as well. Uh, Don't leave here without getting the, the prayer and the help that you need. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need